Good morning. Our scripture reading today is Hebrews 13, 1 through 8. You can find it in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Debbie. Well, good morning to all of you. You know, after hearing about uh, hearing from Scott and Heather about these missionaries that we support and hearing about Ukraine, we do want to take a moment and pause and pray. And I want to let you know of a couple of other prayer requests that are kind of pressing this morning that we would, I know that you would want to know about. One is uh, our beloved John Gilbert, who is the um, oldest person at Lake Baldwin Church, Korean War veteran, uh, for years has just sort of stepped up as a greeter has really fallen on uh, bad health, and we learned this past week that he has stage four cancer in both of his lungs. So that means that his days in this life are numbered. And we wanna take a moment and pray for him and his wife, Julie. Uh, they're actually, their son, John Jr., is 70 years old and himself has cancer. So they're going through a rough time, and we really wanna pray for them. I talked to T.J. Sellers just this morning. Richard Hostetter has been in touch with Julie, and T.J. talked with John, uh, and T.J. said it just felt like one of those farewell conversations. And, uh, but John Gilbert said, he said, you know, I, may, I mainly want you to pray for my family. He said, I'm gonna be fine, but mainly want you to pray for my family. So those of you that know John can understand that. Also, Mike Michelson uh, just got a text from him. His dad fell. His dad is 97 years old, lives out in Palm Springs, California, and uh, is also at great risk this morning, too. And so, several things to pray about. So, I wonder if we could unite our hearts in prayer for just a moment. Lord, you are the God of all comfort, and you are the God who comforts all of us in Christ so that we can comfort one another. And so, Lord, there are uh, many people who need only the comfort that you can give. And we want to take a moment right now to pray for our dear, beloved John Gilbert, uh, his wife, Julie, their son, John Jr. We thank you, Lord, that John Gilbert, as much as anybody we know, uh, has confidence in the gospel and confidence that he has eternal life. So we thank you for the joy that's in his heart as he nears the end 
of this earthly race. Please comfort him and Julie. We know that he's requested that we pray for the needs of his family, so we intercede for them. Lord, you know better than we do what those needs are. We uh, pray for Mike Michelson's dad, such a delightful, dear man, but he himself nearing the end of his journey as well, and we want to pray for your comfort, not only for Mike's dad, but for Mike and Melissa and all the family who have so many great memories of Mike's dad, and we pray that you would bring comfort to them today. Lord, the situation, the war in Ukraine and the impact on Europe and the impact on especially the countries of Eastern Europe, including Slovakia, including Dan and Rebecca Gregoire. We pray for them, Lord, that you would give them grace as they continue to minister to the many refugees that are flooding across the border. Dan working tirelessly to drive them. Uh, Rebecca hosting many of them in her home. Lord, we pray for all of these refugees, too. We pray that you would comfort them emotionally. We pray that you would give them your peace. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future. Uh, we remember uh, the prayer request that they would not fall into hatred in their hearts towards their Russian invaders. Lord, these are, these are incredibly big challenges that None of us have gone through for the most part in this room. But Lord, we thank you that we can influence this situation as we unite our hearts in prayer with your church all over the world. We pray for these, for Ukrainian Christians who this morning are, many of them are in houses of worship, but some are worshiping in uh, metro stations as they hide from the bombs. Lord, we pray that the glory of the gospel would shine out, and that you would give supernatural faith to your church in Ukraine. We pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining me. Well, we're getting into Hebrews again, Hebrews 13, 1 through 8 this morning. We're continuing our Hebrews series, and we're in the final chapter. In fact, this is, uh, we only have two more sermons in Hebrews after this one, and we'll be done with the book. And uh, I for one, I've just had my life changed by the message of the gospel revealed in the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 13, and as often happens with books in the New Testament, you find that the front end of the books are, are really solid theologically, lots of great doctrine, lots of great understanding of Christ and who he is and what he's done for us. And so what the book of Hebrews has done is it has embedded the good news of the gospel of Christ in our hearts. It sets us free from drifting, from self-righteousness, from falling back under the law, and the gospel is what sets us free. So we get to Hebrews 13, and as I said in many of these epistles, what happens next is a very practical section of commands that flow from a relationship with Christ. Verse 8 of this passage says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want us to remember that as we look through these commands today because it is only through the grace of Christ that we can obey the commands of Scripture, and it's only by the work of Christ that we would have, even have hearts that want to love and obey Jesus Christ. But that's what he's called us to do, and that's what we, that's what we do now. So these verses 
These very challenging verses are for redeemed people, uh, and we rely on Christ to fulfill what we're going to talk about today in these challenging verses. You'll notice there are some fascinating topics here as, uh, as Debbie was reading through it. Um, I think the theme is community. I think the theme is love. Uh, but you'll notice he gets into topics, for example, like marriage and sex. Uh, is that something you should talk about in church? He gets into the topic of money. Is that something you should talk about in church? He gets in the, the all-important topic of leadership in verse 7, how vital that is to the church. A lot of really good stuff in here, and we're going to tackle these topics. But I want to ask you this question. What would you say would be the marks of a healthy church? If, like if you were shopping for a church, what would, be, what would be some of the things that you would look for to discern whether that is a healthy community and a healthy church? Some months back in 2021, we had a lot of guest speakers come our way. You might remember that one of them was my friend Bekele Shanko. He's raised in Ethiopia. He's now the, uh, the leader of a, of a global church planting movement, and he preached out of the book of Exodus for us. And you might remember that. He talked about the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. But I've been a friend with Bekele for a long time. He used to live in southern and eastern Africa, and I would, in my former job, I would go and meet with him. And now he and his family live here in Orlando, and that's kind of his base but as he was walking out of Lake Baldwin Church, it was over at the Geneva School when we were meeting there, and he looked around and he just saw the place crawling with children. And he said to me, Mike, this, that is one of the signs of a healthy church is when I see a lot of children. And I thought that was, that was really cool that he uh, noticed that because we have here at Lake Baldwin Church a multi-generational church, all ages, and that's a real sign of health. And so I appreciated what Bekele said and sort of the compliment to what God is doing here at this church. But it raises the question, really, what is, what, what are the marks of a healthy community? Jesus answered that question very specifically in John 13 and 35. He said, by this all men, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Back in the 1970s, the famous theologian and pastor and the founder of Labrie in Switzerland, Francis Schaeffer, wrote a book called The Mark of the Christian. I'll never forget reading that book. He said, of all the things that ought to characterize Christians according to Jesus, it's love. Love is the mark of a healthy church, John 13, 35, and many, many other places around the Bible. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, if you look at verses one through three, you can have all sorts of commitment and all sorts of emotional experiences and all sorts of sacrifice, but he says, unless you have love, it profits nothing. I would say personally that love as a standard in the Bible has forever challenged me. I would say that it is a mountain that has been difficult for me to climb because I, as, as Lydia pointed out, we are all oriented towards ourselves. We are oriented to our own self-righteousness, our own well-being. And so the whole idea of love, especially the way Jesus loved, is an, an incredible, incredible challenge for us. So I hope this morning you're up for the challenge. I want to go through four marks of a healthy community. I want you to remember these things. Hebrews 13 is so clear on them. 
and we're going to take a look at these four marks, but they're all about love. All four of them is about love, are about love. So let me, let's talk about the first one in Hebrews 13.1. It says, let brotherly love continue. And so the first mark of a healthy church is love continuing. I've always thought about this verse. I love it that it says, let, let brotherly love continue. Now the book of Hebrews, this is not the first time that the writer to the Hebrews has talked about the subject of community and the importance of our relationships with each other. For example, in Hebrews 3.13, it says, to encourage one another, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. One of the things we've talked about in the book of Hebrews is the problem of drifting. In the body of Christ today, in the church today, it is so easy to drift away from Christ. It is so easy to drift away from fellowship. It is so easy to fall into sin and to have our hearts hardened against God. We've seen people go through this. So Hebrews 3.13 says that we should encourage one another so that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I wonder if you do that for people. I wonder if you take the time to encourage the people in your life, to love them, to affirm them, to exhort them, to be in a spot where you can be encouraged. Hebrews later, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of, of, of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the book of Hebrews understands how important it is for us to gather, to be around other human beings, to gather with, together as people. And so you'll notice that there's a lot of stuff uh, in our society around us that makes it difficult for us to gather together. COVID, for example, was an attack on community. If you look at how people have been affected by COVID over the past couple of years, it was an attack on Christian community. And so you have to be creative, you have to fight that. But once you even get past COVID, there's people that said during COVID, man, I really wanna have community, I wanna fight for it. But today, the big thing that holds people back from community is often just, just being too busy being too busy. And I remember years ago, we had an assistant pastor by the name of Dave Abney. And I'll never forget what he said when he preached on, on community. He said, if you're too busy for community, you're too busy. But we live in a culture where all sorts of things going on in our lives, regardless of what stage of life that we're in, it keeps us from community. But Hebrews says to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So what you need to do is prioritize it. You need to make the effort to get around people and to be part of the community. Hebrews talks, that is so, so vital to us. It says, let brotherly love continue. And one of the things that I've noticed too that, that, that gets in the way of community is that we live in a very divisive culture. So it's not just a busy culture, but we live in a, a very divisive culture. A lot of us in this room have almost never seen our country be as divided as it is. We have, we have rarely seen so many Christians canceling one another and, and just having the relationship end. But that's not 
letting love of brothers continue. So for example, take the issue of politics. I remember during the last election, or prior to the last election, there were a couple of people in our church. We don't, we don't take partisan positions in this church. You don't have to worry about that. We teach God's word. We teach the gospel. We apply God's word as we can to the issues of the day. But these people were having a, a partisan political conversation, and they, they differed with one another. And I have, seen, I have seen people, Christians, cancel each other over the issue of politics. And uh, I remember talking with one of the guys after this conversation that they had, and the guy came up to me, and he talked to me about the other person, and he said, I am so glad that that person is in our church. You see, that is love continuing, not love winning. So often today, people want to win, they want to be right, but the gospel calls us to love continuing. I'll give you another example of where love needs to, to continue. When you're new to a church, you go through a honeymoon phase. You don't think that there's anything wrong with it. You see all the good parts of it. You see all the, you know, all the good things. But it's not, it doesn't take very long to be part of an environment where you're going to experience somebody's personality that rubs you the wrong way. You're going to have all sorts of people that will let you down. The reason for that is that the church is not a showcase for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. We've always said that Lake Baldwin Church is a place not for righteous people, but for sinners. We're all sinners. We all struggle with anger and needing to be right and we struggle with pride. But what love does is love continues. First Peter 4, 7 says that love covers a multitude of sins. And so if you have people in your life who you have canceled because of either their personality or their politics or for some other reason, I would challenge you to hold that up to the standard of Hebrews 13, 1 and ask about love continuing. You know, this... Uh, by the way, when it says let brotherly love continue, the word for that in the Greek is the word Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love and what it, the challenge here in a healthy community is that love continues. See, love doesn't try to see through people. Love tries to see them through. It overlooks their sins. It forgives their sins. It pursues reconciliation when there are differences. Take that seriously. Don't forget the gospel because our world, our world is into canceling people, but Jesus is not. Jesus did not cancel us when he died on the cross. He canceled our sins. He canceled our transgressions, and he forgave us. And so God calls us to the same kind of love that Christ has. So that's the first mark of a healthy community. It's love continuing. What do you think of that? How are you doing? with love continuing in your marriage, in your family, and with your friendships. Very, very challenging for us. There's a second mark of healthy community in this passage, though, that we want to look at, and we're going to call that love in action. Love in action. It's easy for love to be words, but really, when you look at the life of Jesus, it was love in action. And so what the writer to the Hebrews has here is he says that if you love one another, it's gonna show up in your actions. We see that, that theme throughout the Bible, especially in the book of James, especially in the book of 1 John. Love is more than words. Let's look at a couple of these actions. Look at verse two. Really famous verse here. Check it out, verse two. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers 
for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So one of, the, one of the ways that you can actually put love into action is through hospitality. Now what I love about Lake Baldwin Church is that we have been marked by hospitality. Hospitality is just pervasive and has been over the years through our church. Now once again, that has been, that has been challenged by COVID. And it can also be, um, it can really be a challenge to us when our time is restricted and we limit our community just to the people that we know and like. One of the things that uh, in the early years of our church that we really needed to apply gospel medicine to is the tendency to have partiality, to be selective, to stay with our tribe, to stay with our cliques, to stay with our age group. And God calls us to get out of that in our hospitality. You'll notice the word here, it says, be hospital, show hospitality to strangers. So that's not exactly my clique, my tribe, my friend group, but it show hospitality to strangers. Remember we said that brotherly love in verse one is Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, but phileo is the word for, for love here. And so the word for love of strangers, you know what it is? This word hospitality, it uses a Greek word and it's not um, uh, Philadelphia, but it's, it's rather Philozenia. The word, the word xenos or xenia in the Greek refers to strangers. So isn't it interesting that hospitality means love of strangers? That's a whole other way to put our love into action. Now in the ancient Near East, hospitality was important. They didn't have a Fairfield Inn, they didn't have Airbnb, they didn't have all the great hotels that we have, so when people traveled, it was unsafe. A lot of the hotels, it wasn't really good for them, and so hospitality was part of the culture of the ancient Near East, and that was very, very important. So you can see that gospel hospitality was a characteristic of the early church. One of the things that has been, uh, as I've noticed, just Christians in Orlando in general, I'm not necessarily meaning just our church, it's something Molly and I have struggled with, is the tendency to, um, to sort of remain around our Christian friends, as I've said, or to be in a Christian bubble. So it's interesting <clears throat> to ask the question, how have I been hospitable to strangers and to people who believe differently than me or who are different from me. So years ago, we heard a guy share about uh, how important this is for a church to not become a church that is like a clique, where it's like joining a sorority or a fraternity to get involved. And he used this analogy. He said, your social life is like a Lego. It's like a Lego block that's got four sides to it. And what we do is our limited amount of time in that Lego, we have people, we have this friend here, we have this friend here, this friend here. But the way he challenged us, he said, keep one side of your Lego free for the new person in your church and for the new person in your life. Always have that open Lego for other people. You know, I've never forgotten that. And, and as a result of that, Molly and I have always loved just reaching out to people that we don't know, neighbors, people who perhaps don't even know Christ yet, and welcoming them into our homes. That's love of strangers. In fact, this Thursday is St. Patrick's Day, and I'll never forget years ago 
Molly and I decided to have a St. Patrick's Day party in our home. Great food, great beer, invite the neighbors, no religious agenda. We didn't do it to be a lifestyle referee because we have all sorts of beliefs and lifestyles along our street and in our neighborhood. But I remember we just decided to reach out to people and invite them into our homes. And so we had a home packed with all these people that were like, that were strangers to us that we could get to know. And I remember we were going, um, actually just knocking on some doors in our neighborhood and saying, we got the St. Patrick's Day party, would you like to come? And everybody was really, like nobody bit our head off or what are you doing this for? It was great, it was a lot of fun doing it, but we were getting kind of tired and I said, Molly, we got to, let's do one more house. Let's just do one more house. So Molly says, okay, we'll do, go do one more house. We'll go and knock on this door and there was this guy that answered the door. And we couldn't tell whether he was glad we were there or not. And we said, we'd like to invite you to our St. Patrick's Day party. And sure enough, he and his wife came and attended our party. And that turned out to be Reed and Britta Zelke. And we have just become the best friends. I'm so glad there was room on our Lego to get to know those two. Because this passage says that if you do that, you will entertain angels unawares. And if there's anybody that is, is angels, it's Reed and Britta. I mean, they're both on our deacon team now, and they've led the, our, our sort of medical ministry to Nicaragua over the years. And in so many other ways, they have served our church and reached out to others. But I'm just so, so thankful. So hospitality, welcoming strangers. This announcement from Scott and Heather, I don't know that we yet are gonna be in a position as a church to welcome Ukrainians into our homes. But I am so inspired to know, for example, that in places like Berlin, people are coming to train stations to welcome Ukrainians. I saw this one photo of a train station where what the people did was they bought all these strollers and just left them out at this train station because they knew that these Ukrainian families would be coming and they would have their children with them and they would need strollers. And it was so cool to see this all across Europe. People are doing this, extending hospitality to refugees. Now over two million refugees coming out of Ukraine. So what an opportunity. I'm so thankful for Dan and Rebecca Gregoire and their work in Slovakia because they are the hands and feet in, of, of Christ there. They are putting their love into action. There's another way to do it here, and uh, Mike Dumas is going to love this verse. This is, I'm going to call this the Mike Dumas Verse. Mike and Amanda Dumas go to our church. We got to know them over the past couple of years. He works with a jail ministry. And, and so he starts talking about his jail ministry. And I'm like, well, we, we believe in good news for the city. And the Bible talks about jail ministry. How could we not like totally welcome uh, Mike into the fold on this topic? But look at the verse that says in verse three, it says, remember those who are in prison. As, as though in prison with them. By the way, I love that phrase, as though in prison with them, because that's, that's what empathy is about. Empathy is seeing things from another person's perspective. Empathy is being in their skin. It's being with them. It's feeling what they are feeling. That's really hard to do. And I think, Mike, it's probably easier if you've actually been there and met people and you start to feel that empathy. But I love that verse as though in prison with them. What if we applied that to Ukraine, Ukrainians, as, as though we were refugees with them? 
Isn't that an amazing way to look at those that are marginalized in the world? And it goes on, it doesn't just limit it to people in prison, it says, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So there's a sensitivity, love and action as a mark of a healthy church. And I love this about our church because there's so many people in our church whose hearts beat for Jobs Partnership, for example, or Elevate Orlando, or the 306 Foundation, or uh, the, the gospel jail ministry that Mike's a part of, and so many other ways that you are involved in uh, reaching out to those who are mistreated in our community. So love and action. Okay, that would be a second mark of a healthy church, wouldn't it? First of all, love continuing, but second, love in action. You ready for the third one here? Third one, we're gonna call this one love protecting. Love protecting. Look at what it says in verses, uh, verses four and five, because it gets into both marriage and money here, and I'm, I wish we could spend a ton of time on both of these topics, marriage and money, but I want, to, I want to come at it from the angle of love protecting. Because you might wonder, well, why in a passage, we're talking about community. Community is a real theme at Lake Baldwin Church. It's our 2022 theme. So how would marriage and money fit with community as our theme? And why would we say love protecting? Well, let's take a look at what it says. Verse 4. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Do you see protection in here? For example, it says, first of all, let marriage be held in honor among all. You see, all of us as a church, whether, whether married or single, whatever age or stage, God has called us to honor marriage. Now, why would we do that? Where does marriage come from? Well, you go all the way back to the creation. You go back to Genesis 2 and verse 24, and it says, the, the, the man and the woman shall leave father and mother. He shall cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so you see that marriage was instituted by God. So it's important for our country. It's important for our church. It's important for our lives. It's important for children that we as a church honor marriage. That is why uh, a while back we had some 90 people go through the Alpha Marriage Course because marriages have been under attack. And so we need to take steps as a church to encourage and support our marriages. But remember, love protects. So look at what it says. Let marriage be held in honor. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Now what a, what a, what a delicate way of talking about sexual intimacy in marriage. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Now, how does it make you feel when you hear a statement like that? Let the marriage bed be undefiled. You know what, it, what I think about? Protection, that love protects. That God wants to protect the marriage bed. He wants to protect the sanctity of marriage. And we go on in this passage, and it talks about... Um, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now, there's two different words there. Uh, I think the word for sexually immoral is probably porneia, which is a general term in the Bible for all forms of sort of extramarital sexual activity. Um, and then, obviously, adultery, adultery is what's fit, forbidden in the Ten Commandments, and that is a person having sex 
with somebody that's not your wife. So you've got this idea, but I want you to think protection, because how does it make you feel? You think, well, first of all, one of the things to remember when we see this is that God is a good God who invented sex. He gave it to us as a gift, and he wants us to protect it. Now, why would he feel a need? Why, why would we need that? Because all of us in our hearts is a part of us that wants to go off the reservation. So you go back, you look at creation, and you realize that God created sexual intimacy. It says in Genesis 2 that the, the husband and the wife were naked and unashamed. God created that as a gift. Sex is like electricity. It can brighten or it can burn. Now what happened in the fall is that sex was, was corrupted in many ways, and you see that throughout the Bible. The Bible is so candid about this topic. That's why you've got the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. That's why you've got warnings in Proverbs. That's why you've got passages like this one. There's a sense in which God wants to, to protect us from misusing this amazing gift. So how do you feel about that? One is we see that God protects, but also that God calls us to restrain our passions. And I'll say to you, I don't care what, whether you're male or female, whether you're young or old, those passions to sort of go off the reservation never go away from us. But what God's called us to do is to restrain those. I remember before I became a Christian in this whole area of sexuality, I mean, you think we have a sexually charged culture and society right now. So I grew up in the 60s, and that's what they called the sexual revolution. And I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so as I went through my high school years, there were, there were, no, there were no limits. I mean, everything I saw in media and everything I read in books and all of that was like no limits. And so it's like a field day if you're a high school student. So I'm not speaking to you as someone that doesn't understand some of, the, some of the challenges of this area. And I remember after I became a Christian, one of the things I really benefited from was some good, clear biblical teaching on the topic of sex. It wasn't like, you know, sort of like scolding type stuff, but it also understood that God placed limits in this area to protect us and to provide for us. So I remember when I started dating Molly and uh, we started getting into our relationship and I remember we actually had a conversation where we decided to set some limits and set some boundaries because we understood the power of this area in our lives and we understood that God, that love protects. So for example, as a man, what I said to Molly, I said, you are so valuable to me. I treasure you. You are more valuable than Fort Knox, which is where all of America's gold is. And I go, you are just so valuable. And so I don't want to cross any boundaries. I would rather nurture our relationship to be what God wants it, wants it to be. So uh, I think she agreed with that. She, uh, I think she appreciated that. And if you ever want to talk more about that, I'd be, be glad to talk about that. But see, do you see in this passage of Scripture, I wonder, it's hard for us, isn't it? Because if we want to do something, we believe we should be free to do so. But God is, God is, is protecting us. Now, if you're like me, because I, I place myself in the same position with you, there's a lot of us in this room who have gone through seasons in our lives where we have not protected this area. 
And there's two ways you could respond to a, a passage like this. And I wanna encourage, I wanna apply the gospel right now to the area of sexual intimacy in this topic. I tell you, it does not go away. But let me take a minute and just apply the gospel. Some people respond by um, just denying that it's an issue or denying God's authority. And you could do that. You could do it and say, listen, this is just what I wanna do and we're just gonna deny it. And so you may go your own merry way and the Bible warns against that. And then others of us, when we think about stuff that we've done where we've sort of crossed some lines, we've, we've, we've broken some boundaries, we've done some things, the other extreme is shame, isn't it? It's shame. And it's thinking about ourselves and so what we wanna do is hide. And we might think, I'm the only one that's been through this. But this is a product of the fall, and so to apply the gospel of redemption here, there's a couple of things that Christ does for you, that he does for you. When we repent of our sins, he completely forgives us of our sins, and he sets us on a new path. And that is really a wonderful thing, you guys, because if we didn't have redemption, we would be lost in our shame. We would be lost in our guilt. But denial doesn't work either. The goal is the gospel calls us to live a holy life, to live an obedient life. And that's why passages like, like this are so important for us. Well, we could say a lot more about that, and if you want to follow up and talk about that, I would love to do it. I want to handle the topic delicately and gently and through the lens of the gospel, but I want us to understand this. In a, in a community, we want to really be protective about this area because our culture has lost its way, frankly on this. We're not better than the culture, but we do have the good news of the gospel to apply. Second thing that we see in this passage about love protects is in the area of money. So we're going to mention that briefly. Look at verse 5. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? Now, again, do you see the protection here? Let your way of life be free from the love of money. Because what does the love of money do? First Timothy 6 says that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. You know, I just talked about sex, and everybody goes, yeah, you know, there's some people say, yeah, but, but really, in a lot of ways, materialism, that's, that's a sin too, but we sort of let, as Americans, we let, we let people get away with materialism and with greed, but the Bible says in Colossians 3 that greed amounts to idolatry. So what this passage calls us to is being content with what you have. I was talking to Chad Cahill just the other day about this because we want to organize a Financial Peace University course. would encourage you to think about that once we get it off the ground. But Chad says, I put gas in my car and it looked like it was $100 I spent on gas. And what, what Chad felt was he says, I feel so sad for the single mom on limited income and how difficult that is. So we need to acknowledge that we are in tough economic times. And they were too back in Hebrews. That had been true of Christians throughout the centuries. But God has called us to contentment. So here, I would encourage you to adopt for yourself a contentment plan for your life has three parts to it. Here you go. Number one, to be in a spot where you have a good job where you can pay off your debts. And that's an important step to take. Again, don't get into denial and don't get into guilt, but look at money realistically and realize the importance of getting a job. The Bible talks about that. We have to function in the American economy. Second thing, save money. 
When we do premarital counseling, I like to talk to new, newlywed couples about the issue of money, and I love the uh, advice I heard years ago. Um, uh, give 10%, save 10%, and spend the rest with thanksgiving and praise. And so that's the second thing to it, is to, is to set aside savings. We could talk a lot about that. Again, financial peace is good for that. But then the second way to break greed in our, in our lives is through generosity. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So one of the things I would encourage you to do is set aside a portion of your income. A lot of us recommend tithing, which comes from Malachi 3.10, but whether it's 3%, 5%, 15%, set aside a portion of your income to get in the habit of giving generously because that too is part of your contentment plan. And the promise here is the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So as I think about sort of restricting my overspending and not falling into greed, as I think about saving, getting out of debt, and giving, we might have some fears about those limits as people might do in the sexual area, but God has placed these limits there to protect us. They are for our good and he calls us to contentment and the Lord will never leave us. The Lord will take care of us. Those of us that have lived for many years, there are people in this church all around you who for years have lived this way, have trusted God, live within their limits, have tithed and God has provided for them and they can testify to that. So then the last thing, we've talked about four things, love continuing, love in action, love protecting, and now we are talking finally about love imitating. So let's look at this at verse seven. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So that's love imitating. So we live in a multi-generational church. I love that about our church. And I want you to see as part of your discipleship process that God has placed in this church people who have faithfully taught us the word of God. I think of Richard Hostetter. What a treasure he and Suzanne are for us and the fact that he has taught us the word of God in that Sunday morning teaching fellowship. I think of John Gilbert himself who's on his last legs. And think about... Uh, people like that, people that have gone before you, and the Bible says to imitate their faith, not to imitate everything about their life, but to imitate their faith. And there's a final promise here in verse eight. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I love that this, this passage finishes with Christ because we could never do this apart from him. You see, Christ doesn't change. Love continuing that's what Jesus does for us. It's love. He doesn't cancel us. Love continuing. Love in action. That's what Jesus did for us. He went to the cross. That love never changes. Love protecting. Jesus was pure. He wants to protect us. And then finally, love imitating. Jesus, we imitate him. We're called to imitate him. We're called to fix our eyes on him. And I wanna let you guys know that as you think about the future of your life, you're fearing gas prices and inflation. You might fear the impact of this war in Ukraine. Or you might just think about the future of our church and realize that in the coming months, we are trusting God to bring along the new pastor in this church to whom I will pass the baton and 
Molly and I love this church. We don't plan to go anywhere, but at some point we will retire. We will be off staff. But remember that our hope is in Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's his grace and his power that leads this church. Let's put our hope in him. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, this is a challenging passage about what love, what love looks like in community. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters today. We've talked about challenging topics, but I pray that we would not, that the Word of God would not lose its power as we go from here. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would challenge us, you would comfort us, you would convict us, and most of all, enable us to put our hope in Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray, amen.